We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Phenomenal and impactful halftime substitution rescues chance at the tie for Arsenal. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Uh, it wasn't going well, but a phenomenal, an influential halftime substitution turned the tie. Sadly, it was not made by our coach, but you'll take it where you can get it. Unai Emery, Unai emery the shit out of that one, didn't he? Took off a striker, brought on Francis Coughlin. The rest, as they say, is history. And Arsenal now go from what would have been pretty grim chances to progress to what the 538 has is 38% odds. And uh, 38% odds, given how that game started, is something you would probably take. I think it is the tricky situation that we have to accept. We are very much in this tie, while also not necessarily feeling like we're in a generous mood where we want to forgive what was going on in that game. Uh, a game where I don't think Villarreal were any good, by the way. And and maybe some parallels to the Slavia-Prague tie. Um, a team that didn't look very good. We didn't set up particularly well. We blew an opportunity in the first leg. Left ourselves a lot of work to do. But if they are equally bad in the second leg and we fix our mistakes, it could feel very much like that tie at the end of two legs. And I would take that opportunity, especially with United looking there for the taking after just a meager 6-2 win over Roma. So, all good things. Um... I did interview Alex Kirkland from the Spanish Football Podcast. That interview will be in the Monday podcast, um, looking ahead, talking about things from a Spanish perspective. So um, Emery's moves, the tie generally, how they're viewing Arteta, how they're viewing Thomas Partey's move to Arsenal, things like that. You can catch that on Patreon now if you want. So it's up on Patreon, as is our instant reaction. But if you want to wait for it, of course, please feel free to do so. It'll be available on Monday. So uh, Tim's on Twitter. Hello, Tim. 
Hello there. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Okay, let's waste no time getting right into it, Clive. There oh. are there are people that love Mikel Arteta. There are people that don't necessarily feel that way, for lack of a a less diplomatic way to put it. Um, this is this is it. This is the whole ball of wax. We have to get to this European final and then find some way to win it. And going into this game, I think you'd have to say. The problem for Arsenal and Arteta right now, and we've talked about this a lot, is you really wouldn't like to be going into a European semifinal still not knowing what your best system is, what your best lineup is, and then having some injuries that complicate it a little further. But I think even with the options he had available, it's very safe to say that Arteta went a bit of galaxy brain here. And the irony is in a week where Arteta maybe prevented himself from going galaxy brain in the semifinal for once. Arteta picked up the mantle and ran with it. Is this just a case of Mikel overthinking a big moment, getting it wrong, and then unfortunately being slow to to change it? I think there are some... Hey, look, I don't see the game the same as either you two guys. I'm <laughs> sure I don't see the game the same as Mikel Arteta. So I have thoughts in my mind about what a team should look like and I, I'm very much a a structure guy really a solidity guy so when I, when I see instability when I see that I really dive on it because particularly if those if that instability is in positions where I feel you need stability right so that will probably explain some of my views and some of our players <laughs> as you know me well enough and I look at a game I think okay game for your life what do you do game for your life okay I need to have a look at them. They need to look at me. I'm going to make sure I have certain pillars in place that allow me to look at the game. So let's see how the game is flowing. And from there, we can do our thing. If I have my structure in place, all of my pretty players can do their pretty stuff on the football. And they can focus on that. They can be in positions to do that. And we can have a much better team structure and connectivity. That's how I look at the game. Right? So, so when I see certain players in on the pitch affecting other players' ability to play, destroying relationships, destroying connections, destroying wide triangles and diamonds, which we saw none of that last night. Um, then you've got to say to yourself, that's on, that's on me. That's on me, the coach. I put this out there and it's not, it's not there. It's not working. And again, I mean, Tim said last night and I totally agree, things go wrong in the game. And we, I'm sure we get onto it and I don't want to take it all now, but Things go wrong in the game, but it's always about your ability to see it, to change it, to message it to your players, to squeeze the game, do whatever you got to do, hold back on your original plan while you see out some dark moments. Do whatever you do in a two-legged European tie not to separate away from the opposition by two clear goals, which we did last night. Mm. And that sort of in-game inexperience is, is really costing us you know um, i'll tell you i don't know if you guys remember the emory one pod <laughs> remember that one it's my all-time and, best moment in podcasting <laughs> yes i do <laughs> and you guys were very strong on our tet and i was a little bit like i'd wait and see and 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 one of the things i said at the time was i remember this clearly there was a time when pep was suspended from the european game and arteta had to take the management job and i think it was a european game they lost actually it's a group game i looked at the feedback on it and they said then they said he looked like a rabbit in the headlights when it came to substitutions. He was a young assistant coach, probably four or five years ago, whatever it was. 
it always stayed in my mind. And I remember saying to you guys, you know, we don't know what he's like. He never made a sub, blah, blah, blah. And it's been something that's been consistently wrong, his ability, inability to make changes at the appropriate time, in my opinion. However, drinks break Arsenal, smash that. Smash that to me completely, because he was so, so reactive and proactive. But we got some inexperience here, and I said this last night, we look inexperienced as a club. Everywhere you look, we look inexperienced. And I hate when people like Patrice Hevra say, Arsenal is a finishing school. And I, I just don't like it. So, so there's always a bit of hint of truth in feedback, and mm. I stayed in my mind. And I don't want us to be a finishing school, top to bottom. Finishing school for execs, finishing school for coaches, and finishing school for players. Because that's not the expectations of most Arsenal fans in the European Cup semi-final. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, I, people would say, well, you hired a, a coach into his first job. What do you expect? Well, I think it's fair to say, first of all, the club didn't support him well because they put him into a structure where he had nothing surrounding him. I mean, you know, when I taught my daughter to ride her bike, she got on a little bike with training wheels and that's how she rode first. And then you take the training wheels off. And then you get a bigger bike. You don't put her on a rocket cycle. But Mikel Arteta takes over a big club, and oh, by the way, we're going to fire the director of football or you know whatever the heck his title was, executive director of grifting, and we're going to fire the chief scout, and we're going to replace him with inexperienced guys, and we're going to call you manager, and now you have all the jobs, and oh, by the way, try to handle this wage cut we're proposing and try to handle this pandemic. and try. To, I mean, yes, there's a lot of excuses, but at the end of the day, ex- explanations for failure are still failure. So... This was a case where I just felt that Arteta went into a big moment and and froze a bit. And, I mean, Tim, there's a few things we can fixate on here. I think the really, the obvious two big things that he chose. He chose to keep Shaka at left back, and he chose to go strikerless. Um, Both of those decisions paid dividends for Emery and Villarreal, in my view. I am always inclined to be more concerned about what happened at the attacking end. It's hard when you're 2-0 down at halftime to say the attacking end is the problem, but it's the .14 expected goals at halftime. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the nothing we're creating that also emboldens the opposition. And I don't think Villarreal particularly banged down our door. Their second goal is just schoolyard Sunday league defending on a set piece. First one's maybe a little unlucky. But of the two, the Shackett left back and the going strikerless, for me, I see the decision to use Smithrow the way he did as the the bigger failure that impacted this tie. Do you have a, a different take or see it similarly? No, I see it similarly. I think I tweeted during the game, like a, a good false nine or strikerless formation has lots of people rotating the number nine role. A bad false nine strikerless formation has nobody in, in that role. You need someone there. So it's perfectly fine to play without a recognized striker so long as there is someone always filling that space. And then it just comes down to how good they are at doing it. So like Spain, Euro 2012, I think one of the few teams that have ever been um, successful with a false nine. Didn't actually score that many goals in that tournament, mm. but what their false nine did, their false nine was usually Fabregas or I think it was David Silva once. And what those guys do is they keep the ball for you. So what what Spain did in Euro 2012, I think they scored eight goals um, or something, maybe nine on en route to winning it. I think they won all their knockout games 1-0 uh, in the build-up to the final because it was like, well, we only need to score once because even our centre forward is Cesc Fabregas, so you're not getting the ball off us. And so that that that's like a really extreme example of where it can work, where all of your kind of forwards and midfielders are such 
brilliant technicians that you're just not getting the ball back and therefore it doesn't really matter how many times you shoot as long as you shoot once um, into the goal and that's it because then the other team's not getting the ball. Mm. We, we don't have that level of player. Very few teams have that level of player. Man City doing it recently. But Man City and this... It, Weirdly enough, I've always said I don't like watching Man City. This is the first time under Pep I've actually enjoyed watching Man City in this strikeless formation. And the reason is because you don't know who's going to pop up in that number nine spot. And that that's what's kind of quite thrilling about it. But mm. there is always someone in it. And, you know, you've got a forward like Raheem Sterling who takes up those central positions anyway. And it really, really works for them. And also, yeah, they have brilliant technicians. So, again, if you have Phil Foden, Bernardo Silva as a false nine, they might not, you know, uh, spin spin a defender and smash it in the top corner, but they'll keep the ball and you'll keep the team under pressure. We asked Emil Smith-Rowe to do that last night and um, I, I was tempted on the instant reaction pod to give him a stock rising, not because I thought he played particularly well, I thought he struggled with that role, but because the manager trusted him to do that and because the manager wanted him in the team so much mm. that he gave him that role and that is a kind of... That is, uh, yeah, that's a stock rising. But, my, you know, I said it before kickoff. I was worried with this formation. Who is it that's going to go it? Because Smithrow's going to come out. Of course he is. He's probably going to be asked to come out. So who's going to go in? And that's where, even if you don't play Martinelli as a number nine, for me, you've got to have aggressive wide players if you're going to play that kind of system, much like we did you know, against Sheffield United with Lacazette. Lacazette played a bit like a false nine, but we had Pepe and Martinelli um, kind of going in behind and beyond. That's what you want when you play a false nine. You need those aggressive wide players running in behind, and we didn't have that either. Well, we had one of them, I think, um, in Pepe, and I think Pepe got a lot of change out of uh, out out of Villarreal down that side, but it was just down one side. And Saka's not really that running behind player; he's more of a dribbling behind player, which obviously um, actually gets us a goal in the end. But it it just wasn't configured correctly at all, and I really, really never thought it would be. I I'm not sure if that's over. Like I feel like um. It's a semantic argument and probably doesn't matter. I feel like overthinking is something we're we're putting on Arteta because Pep's done it a few times, and maybe it's just a synonym for he got it wrong. Yeah, um, point. <laughs> maybe he didn't think about it enough. Um, quite frankly, but yeah, I, I was always what like I wouldn't have minded Smithrow as a false nine if one of the wingers is Martinelli and he's the one running in behind and filling that number nine space. You have to have so you cannot play without someone in that space. You can rotate the individual who's in that space. You cannot have nobody there. You can keep the ball all you want and you can play all the triangles you want and the one touch football you want. You have to have someone at the point who's offering that threat or at least running in behind or at least you know pulling defenders out of the way and that was why I was very worried before kickoff because I just didn't see how or who was going to do that yeah Aubameyang did it in six minutes (laughs) yeah Um, yeah, exactly look and and the reason I'll call it overthinking is because you know I think on the arts cast they said it was more like arrogance or, or egotistical you've got Pepe who can maybe do it? He can hold up. He can run in behind. He can sort of do it. You got Martinelli, who can definitely do it. You could try Aubameyang from the start, and if he's not up to it, you take him. No, I'm going to use Emil Smith Rowe as false nine in a weird 
hybrid situation where I've got a central midfielder at left back, and I'm going to keep him exposed because I'm going to push those wide players, Saka and Pepe, really wide. And I've got this exotic system that's a tweak on an already exotic system that I'm going to roll out in the first leg of a European semifinal. That is quintessential overthinking to me because there are many more obvious ways he could have set this team up in the absence of the players that weren't available. And I do have to say, you know, I was pretty vocal in thinking like the Cedric deal was stupid, for example. What are we doing signing a guy who didn't play on loan, who's in his, you know, in his late prime to be a backup to a backup at right back? And here we are now at the pointy end of the season, a very experienced Portuguese international player that we signed from a reasonable Premier League team who can't get into the team at left back so much so that Shaka is there. It's it's a worry. It's a it's it's all of the things. It's recruitment. It's selection. It's tactics. But Clive, I, I'd love to to go deeper on your thoughts about this sort of false nine system because the one thing I will say is, you know, maybe the theory is Odegaard and Smith Rowe are exchanging lots of passes and Smith Rowe is sliding in sack and Pepe running in behind. But the way it played out, Smith Rowe had no key passes, one shot and one pass into the box. There was never the connectivity between him and the runners, so that just never materialized. Yeah, and it's just it's, again. I, I really want you guys to hold, hold me to account here. Really. So, uh, you, <laughs> I'm worried. Do you mean that really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you guys immediately go to Smith Rowe being an issue, right? So, my issue for me was Shaka playing at the back and not being in midfield. That is a big so issue as done, well. Yeah. <laughs> that, to me, that's a bigger issue because you said it there. No key passes, no connections. We didn't even get to that space. We didn't even build up to that area. Like we weren't there. Our inaccuracy in our build-up turned the game in transition game, or we give it back to them, and they were able to get out of the press and run through us. So for me, the bigger issue was our lack of control in central midfield areas because we had one person in there. As soon as he was moved, it was over. It was over because there was nobody else to really affect that area and to tackle and to block, because we couldn't catch them. You see what I mean? And so what happens then is, when you play a false nine system, think about this right last for a moment, the key to Man City's false nine system really is their back three, Walker, Stones, Diaz, because they play high and they smash everything and they turn it back with Rodri in front. So what you're doing, you're playing a midfielder's game in a much smaller space. What do we see in this game? You saw everybody running backwards, Everyone running away. Big space because we were bypassed. Ducked in, bypassed. It doesn't matter about your false nine now. Now you're playing a midfield defence game. Your defence is no longer stable. It's not standing high. It's running away because the midfield is bypassed. They look ahead. They see green space. They can't press. There's no bad touches coming. People running at them. They've got a jockey, jockey, jockey hope someone can catch and make a double up tackle. That's what they've got to hope for. So let's not talk about. I know the issue we said before is, is a valid question, but trust me, we were outpassed, outcoached, out, you know, outmaneuvered. They played around us, and they played into our weakness. A number of times we overcompensated on one side, they switched out the other side. It's a running race to get out to Foy's side quickly. Pepe's pressing decisions were poor. He kept trying to get the centre back. He needed to make sure the fullback was covered. There was a couple of bad decisions off the ball. Off the ball, we were shocking. But we didn't get to see the passing false nine game that Man City do because our back line was, was 
unstable. Mm. Our centre midfield was unstable. So we never saw the front four. And everything we did in this game was not what we normally see where you have connectivity on both sides. It was all individual. And so I get what you're saying. It'd be nice to have a centre forward to go and do stuff. It'd be lovely. If he was fit, he'd be playing different discussion. We'd play, we'd play three in behind rather than double tens, whatever it is. But I do feel the instability in centre midfield was the reason for this fractured performance. In my mind, that's, that's my priority over the fact that we use Smith Rowe in the Lacazette role, hmm. which is a setting role, not an Aubameyang role, the Lacazette role. Before the podcast, I asked you to pass me the pass map. That looks all right, doesn't it? That pass map looks really good. But we saw the game. But what didn't work? Players in the wrong places, with the wrong attributes, not enough of the ball to create the connections that we wanted to see until they dropped away and we played in their half. And then suddenly we looked like Arsenal. Yeah, and I mean... I, I take your point because the Ceballos conversation is a big one that we're going to have to have. And I, I would just say that the thing with Lacazette is I've never really liked the Lacazette role except in the games where he did the other stuff, made it into the box, right? The West Ham game where he got in and he had chances and he scored goals, right? There there have been games where he, he did the other stuff. The games I didn't like is where the Lacazette role was more 10 than nine and a half and he doesn't get back in there. Um, I also think you're right. It was more double tens than a false nine. And I think that pushed Saka and Pepe wider. I really do think at times this had a 4-2-4 shape to it. And it gave, you take Ceballos, who's made error after error in the Europa League that have cost us. And you put him in a position in the semifinal where he has massive responsibility. He, he had about the same number of touches and passes as Thomas Party in this game. And that can't be right. You know, in all the positions, deep, right, left, forward, carrying the ball. I actually think Party struggled a bit. And when Ceballos went off, I thought Party got better and started to really dominate the game, which tells you what you think that was. Why do you think that was? Because he doesn't have a guy running to come get the ball and take it off the the back line and and occupying all the spaces that he needs to go into. And, you know, position is important. You know, the the reality is if you want to have a progressive pass, between the lines, someone's got to be standing there. And if they're just running to wherever the ball is every time, that that's all out the window. Or not. Do you, do you have a different perspective? No, no, I agree with you. Yeah. I just thought Smith Rowe stood next to Party, and that was it. That's all he yeah. needed was someone near him. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's complicated. Party was brilliant with, Pap, with um, Saka next to him. Smith Rowe just said, you know what, a bit of energy. I'm staying in here. Distance with my four four one. It's line to straight line. Let's support my wife, men. Let's make sure when they turn around, I can be there for the set. Yep. Nothing more than that. Tuck back in next to my centre midfield partner. Good luck trying to run through us. We're going to control the ball. It's not hard. It really isn't. Smith Rowe's such a smart player. I really, really rate him. He can do a lot of stuff. He needs to be trusted more in a, in a deeper role. He can do it. I really believe he can do it. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, Thomas Party. it's funny because I, I thought he was having a pretty mediocre game, and then you go and you dig into the stats, and it's 11 ball recoveries by by far the most, and the most progressive passes, and the most final third entries, along with Shaka, who somehow manages to dominate that statistic even when he's playing five yards off his own end line. Um, yeah, I, I do think, though... Before we get more into a Ceballos discussion, Tim, we probably should discuss defending a little bit because even though it's not where my brain goes when I see us produce .14 expected goals and a half, we were 2-0 down. And you don't get 2-0 down by what your attackers are doing necessarily, although that that plays a role. Um, I, I think that 
Unai Emery has always loved to overload wide spaces, half spaces. I mean, think about Arsenal. When he was the coach of Arsenal, the middle of the pitch was lava. I actually think that was the title of one of our pods. The, the middle of the pitch is lava. You know he's going to move his, his midfielders into the half space and have his fullbacks overload his wingers. And he's going to try to dominate the half spaces and either have them dribble by a guy or cross it. Um, and yet, by virtue of the system we had with the four up top and Shaka sitting really deep, there was a lot of grass in the middle of the pitch in those half spaces and wings for them to pretty easily progress the ball. And I think they had talked about it pre-match because the move that leads to their opening goal includes a blind reverse pass, right? Um, playing out from the back, from the center out to the wing where you just know a player is going to be. And, and I, I think it's because they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring the ball. We're going to play into out. We're going to play central and then go out to the wings where there's going to be space in front of Shaka. So, I have issues all over the place here. I think his decision to play Shaq at left back again not only forces us to have a guy like Ceballos in a more prominent role, which hurt us. It forces us to have Shaq in, in, in a role that he's not as comfortable with defensively and, and means our spacing is bad because he drops deeper. I also think he got it wrong picking Marie and holding. And I think this is the problem with a coach who maybe can't just decide who the good players are and stick with them, but is still trying to figure it out this late in the season. Of the of the things that happened defensively, let's break them down by goal. For their first goal, is it mm. is it a structure goal? Is it individual responsibility oh. goal? How much of it is on Shaq at fullback? How do you apportion? I hate to say blame, but the the causation for that for that first goal. So I would urge you to watch um, the angle of the the goal from behind. Uh, yeah, from behind. So as if the camera was on the halfway line. Obviously, it's not actually on the halfway line, but. Um, yeah, so looking, I didn't describe that very well. Because, looking at it from, from from the Villarreal goal side, or looking at it from yes, behind our goal, yes. from the Villarreal yeah, yeah, goal yeah. side. Okay, yeah, you. exactly. Behind the play. When, yep. Yeah, yeah. When you watch that, you can see clearly what's happened because Jack is there and Sabios is there as well, and Sabios has clearly been told. You know, they you, you can tell, and, and like rightly, but you can tell they've been told. Uh, is, is it Chiquazi? Chiquazi. Yep. Uh, is, I mean, that, that may not be the right pronunciation, but that is yeah, the yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure on the pronunciation, <laughs> but they, they've been told right when when he gets the ball. I, you know, I want, I, I don't want Jack or isolated. I want two of you there. So Sabios is there, but what happens when you when you see that um, that angle? You can see the fear in both of their faces, <laughs> and you can see that they've been through this and they've gone, oh no, this is this is the thing we're we're you know we're worried about that we didn't want to happen. And I think what happens is between Xhaka and Ceballos, there isn't, there just isn't that unspoken understanding about who's actually going to go out and meet him. So what they do is they both back off um, because they're. And I think actually Xhaka is probably right to back off. I think, obviously, I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine that you know, if if I was the coach, I'd say, all right, Xhaka, don't you go out and meet him first because if he gets behind you, then that's it. Sabios, so you go and meet him, and if he gets past you, then Xhaka's there to sweep up. That that's generally the principle, and I think Xhaka backs off, expecting Sabios to go and meet him, only to find that Sabios is backing off even faster than Xhaka is. And I think there's just a real, and it and it's because it happens in the first couple of minutes of the game. There's just a real misunderstanding there about who's supposed to go and engage him, 
and neither of them end up engaging him and then the shot go and and i think to be fair that kind of thing probably happens quite a lot it's just it doesn't end up in a goal mm-hmm. and it happens and then you talk to each other and you go right next time i mean don't get me wrong you should have it sorted before but you go uh, okay right we know what to do next time that happens next time you go into him and i'll back off kind of thing but it it, it ended in a goal so it, it feels like a lot more dramatic I think what happened there afterwards, I think Xhaka started doing that. Um, I, I think, sorry, Xhaka learned from that. And I think he grew into it after that. And I think he won quite a lot of tackles. I think he, took he worked the ball out. took Chiquese a couple of times. I, I mean, I, yep. all credit to him in the duels from then on. He was pretty yep. solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he worked out, okay, Ceballos isn't going to go, <laughs> going to go and smash into him for me. So I've got to do it. And I think he sorted it out from that stage. And so I feel for him because I think other than that, his performance was, was decent. My problem with him Good. being at left back was that we didn't have him in midfield um, where we probably need him the most, which is probably a Ceballos conversation as well. But, but yeah, so like it, with that goal and, and then you've got Mari doing much the same thing, like really, really backing off. Um, and so, yeah, there I would, and perhaps this is just my preconceived bias. I, I would, I would put quite a lot of that first goal on Ceballos, just really, really backing off. I really don't think I'd be really surprised if that was what he was asked to do. Cause your defenders, it's kind of fine for your defenders to think, shit, I've got to defend the 18 yard area. Your midfielder shouldn't be thinking that. Um, and then the second goal, I mean, there's plenty of blame to go around. I think on that one, um, I think holding gets a little bit stuck under the ball party switches off. Mari switches off. It, it's just a really, really poor goal to concede. And again, Villarreal don't have to do much for their two goals. We do not make them work hard for those two goals. And that is principally on, if not the defence, the defending. Yeah, and I will say this. I thought Mari had a bit of a nightmare. Marie yep. had a mare, a mare, mare. I don't know. That didn't work. We'll fix it in post. Um, but I think this is another case. This is a low key case of Arteta overthinking. You cannot run a football club where your appraisal of your talent is on a rolling 14 day basis. Gabriel has not been great, but he is better than Pablo Marie. He just is. And I know I've never been a Pablo Marie guy, so people might be screaming agenda. You can't be doing this. You can't go into a semifinal and you're picking your your center backs based on 14 days of performance. It just shouldn't work like that. I don't I don't know that Holding should be playing, but we don't have a right-sided center back because William, William Saliba is clearly not nearly as good as Rob Holding or Pablo Marie or Gabriel by, by all evidence of what we've been seeing. I'm sorry I couldn't help myself. I, I don't think it should have been Marie. And I, I think if it's not Marie, I think we're one or two goals better in this tie. I think it's that simple. Granite Shaka's problem is... Look at his average positioning. He's so deep. He either knows he can't run the line, so he's staying deeper so he doesn't get run, or he's been told to stay deeper. But when you are off out of possession, and Clive does this so well, he talks about off the ball. You make it so much easier on the opposition to play out and get around your pressure and move the ball up the pitch when the fullback can't get up the pitch because that space is there. Shaka needs to be 10 yards higher up the pitch to keep that shape and keep that pressure, but he can't be there because he'll get run. And that's part of the problem with not having a a real fullback, an athlete there. So that's not Shaka's fault because Shaka is a midfielder. He he is not a fullback. Um, And and it all flows from there for me. Clive, I was about to turn over to you, so why don't you just go? I'm sorry. Is it about athleticism? You're you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. I mean, 
what we ask Mr. Bias to do is what we ask Maitland Niles to do towards the FA Cup final win. Right? We offer we offer him we want him to support the wide areas but recover in yeah. and recover yeah. back. And of course he can do it, right? He can bounce like the wind. And he must be watching it on his set laughing, watching Sabias uh, running Tobias. back. <laughs> <clears throat> but actually, I did have a look at this goal today, and Tim absolutely nailed it there. But just there was an issue beforehand, and it, it was one of my favourite players, actually. I, I think what happened is you have a, a single Villarreal player in what I call the T position, central, around the zone 14-ish. They normally play out to that player, and normally whipped it around the corner. And what happened, a second player runs in and stands next to that guy on the T, and Sabaya says, I'm going in there. I fancy, I fancy a press. Right? Because... When you're somebody that's not very athletic, sometimes you put yourself in areas where you know you can't be blamed because you can't get back. Do you know what I mean? And he goes in. At that moment, Pepe then goes to press the other centre-half. He should have stayed at the fullback, And that's when they whipped it out to the fullback. So now Sabias is thinking, shit, I've left 30 yards behind me. I've now got to run in front of national TV across Europe. And it didn't look pretty. <laughs> and from that moment on, Tim's nailed it. But the decisions was who to, who to press. The decision was all about who to go and get. Early in the game, look at the game. Don't overcommit. Look at the game. They want you. Look at their pattern. Have a look at what they do, what they want to do. Just suss them out. Then go. Then gamble because you've seen it. You've seen their pattern play. We just went. And by the way, on the goal, I think it was the second time Tobias got run. I think it happened early in the game. They scored on four minutes. Do you know what I mean? So there was a message here. We were all over the place, absolutely all over the place off the ball. And I don't know why. I, I'm generally, we were talking day off, offline, and I'm I'm perplexed mm. at the stress levels in that first half. People like Marie, like Holding, just looked stressed. Chambers, stressed. Sabias, loose. Party, looking around, trying to find the passes, not always finding them. You know, it was it was Odegaard didn't look fit to me. Mm. I mean, it's just too many free throw not in the right position so he can influence the game. He left to the two wingers and a goalkeeper to bail us out. That's what it was. It was a misuse of resources for too long. Can I make a point about this too? Like, and I brought this up in the instant reaction pod, but we got to watch some Champions League this week. The the obvious um, curtain riser for the big Europa League ties. Um, you watch those teams and the quality of those teams, and they can make it really difficult for you to execute your game plan. Manchester City are the best team in England, and PSG had the talent to make it difficult for them for a half, but that's all they could do because eventually City's football took over. This wasn't a case of Villarreal making it difficult for us or Villarreal being so good that we we had a half of football that we couldn't get into our stride. I thought they were bad throughout. I really did. I mean, they looked kind of like what I expect a mid-table La Liga team to look like. There's a little bit of talent there. There's nothing to be scared of. So I don't, you know, there are times when we overly blame our own team for being bad. I thought we were dreadful against Liverpool. I know some people felt we have no right to expect to be any better against Liverpool. It's an argument for another time. But this wasn't that. This was being bad against a bad team, in my view. We are going to have to do a, a pretty big discussion of what happened with Ceballos here. Um, but before we do, Tim, I just want to ask you really quickly. You know, they had a third big chance. Moreno probably should score. It's great by Leno. I'm glad we started him. I think it was the right call, and I think he did roughly what he needed to do in this game. But when Francis Coughlin is playing blind passes into the penalty area around your center back, 
you may have a problem with your center back. I thought Marie got exposed here. I mean, do you think that Mikel Arteta has to have a big rethink of of his center back pairing? I just don't know how we've arrived at a point this season on the balance of all the evidence, feeling that this is the pairing he should pick. I, I do. I, I do actually think Holding and Marie have been pretty decent, to be yeah, honest. Decent, but is um, it enough? I mean, is the samples are we are we narrowing our sample sizes on player evaluation to to reduce it to absurdity? Possibly, possibly, yeah. I actually, I read um, an interesting article by a guy called Mark Thompson. Actually, writes some really good stuff. Yep. And uh, he he wrote a good piece on Arteta, um, and he was actually you know talking about like the difficulty in judging Arteta and things like that. And he said um, he he'd looked at Arteta's reign and said, "What I think I'm going to do is chop it up into two month increments because that gives you roughly ten games or so, um, probably a bit more." But that seems like like a good sample size. And if I chop, and he just went through and said, "If I chop up Arteta's reign into two month increments, I've got you know good twice." bad four times indifferent three times you know that kind of thing and so it, it is quite possible it is quite possible it isn't um a big enough sample size to say that they're brilliant i'm not sure we have a big enough sample size with any of our back fours though i think that's the thing like we don't have a big enough sample size with holding and gabrielle either or louise and gabrielle because we've chopped and changed quite a lot and initially i thought that that was going to be about horses for courses um and things like that but and and to be honest i don't i think before this game i was not worried at all about the idea of marie playing ahead of gabrielle um i did think that that was probably earned on balance i do take what you're saying the kind of and also you know gabrielle's younger and he's the guy we're really invested in he's the one we really put the money down for he's five years younger than pablo marie like Mm. let's just get him playing in these games now um, and, and I, I am sympathetic to that argument. Like I, I don't, honestly, I, I don't massively sweat it um, between who is on the team sheet between Marie and Gabrielle. I do think this is a, a, a kind of a black mark um, on Marie, and not and and look like not every game needs to be a referendum on a player. Like sometimes you just have a bad game or sometimes you're just in bad form. And we always seek to explain that. And sometimes there isn't a good explanation. I I do wonder though, if this is where Marie may be like just a lack of experience in these games. I mean, he, he played some big games for Flamengo, but he played them in a really dominant team. So I'm not sure it's quite the same thing. I'm not sure if in his career he's been in like this, you know, really this type of game that often. Um, and granted, probably Gabriel hasn't either, but he's 22. And so if we get him playing in these games now, the idea is that in two, three years, we're playing in these games again, he'll he'll have them under his belt. So I, I think, I think uh, personally, I would say in hindsight, it definitely didn't work. And I'm sure if Arteta could go back, he'd make that change. I wasn't massively worried about it at the start. I do think that without Louise, you've kind of got to play holding. And then I I think there's a cigarette paper between Mari and Gabrielle at the moment. So I don't actually have an enormous problem with that. I guess what I'd say is that where Mari is usually very good is I I think Mari probably makes more sense next to Tierney because Mari's very good at covering like for a very attacking left back. That's what he did at Flamengo. Um, He played Felipe Luis there. He's very good at covering that space when, you know, someone like Tierney bombs forward. 
not so sure and obviously that's not what Jack is doing and we saw what happened with the first goal right like it's not because Jack is up the pitch I'm sure if Jack had been caught up the pitch I reckon Mari probably comes over and tries to deal with that mm. but when he's got Xhaka right next to him and Ceballos on top of him he kind of just shrinks away and we have seen that before that was it that Leicester goal um where they just kind of run in a straight line and he just keeps pedalling backwards. So we have seen that from him before, to be fair. Yeah, I I don't want to push this topic too far. And, and I agree with a lot of what you've said because I, I think player evaluation is the manager's job, by the way. Like, it's, it's not a podcaster's job to say, pick the better player because he's going to say, well, I'm picking the player I think is better in this situation just because you disagree. He, he's right. He has that right. I, I worry a little bit about systems and player evaluation and selection being so fluid. I mean, look, none of us want Willian playing, but the extent to which Willian felt like a player he thought he had to have on the pitch to suddenly being a player that has no role, well, barring the obvious and important 94th minute substitution for him and El Elneny, um, we'll get to all that. We're going to get to substitutions, how he changed the game and how he didn't change the game. Um, and, and that's going to start with the Ceballos conversation. So before we have that Ceballos conversation, uh, let me just say this. Uh, uh, you know that we are our big Manscaped uh, friends here, but for today, I, I want to tell you about Candid Company. Uh, that's Candid Co. CandidCo.com. Uh, Candid Co. is a, a teeth aligner treatment. This is really, really uh, good technology, and it's interesting because I remember um, I wanted to get my teeth straightened a few years back. I went into a dentist office, and they proposed these clear aligners for me, and the price was so many thousands of dollars that I did not particularly uh, want to spend at that time. And so I passed on it, but it was something I always wanted to do. Well, you can do that now. Um, if you're unhappy with your smile or if you just want your teeth straightened, thousands of people have used Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners to help straighten their teeth. And now they love their smile. Just like, well, let's tell you what Sharon thinks. Sharon from Pittsburgh said, I wore braces as a teenager. Flash forward 30 years, I had crowding at the bottom. One of my teeth actually stuck out. That's when I made the decision to move forward with Candid, and I got my teeth straight. I think Sharon is is kind of like me, right? I had braces. I wore them forever. They were super expensive, and sure enough, I, I needed them to be readjusted. And uh, this is the kind of technology that does it. What's really neat, though, is there are companies that do this, and they do it in partnership with general dentists. Candid uh, works with an actual orthodontist, people who are experts in tooth movement. So you have the same quality of care you get from an in-office orthodontist, but you get it from home. You don't have to actually go in. It's from the comfort and convenience of your own home. So the average treatment's just less than six months. It's thousands of dollars less than uh, than an, an in-office service. So you can become your best. You start straightening your teeth today. Right now, you can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. Go to candidco.com slash vision and use code vision. That's candidco, C-O, candidco.com slash vision, code vision. Take advantage of this limited time offer. Save $75 on your starter kit. Candidco.com slash vision. Code vision. Do it now. Clive, enough? No. Oh, yeah, that's good. All that's right. Good. I'm, thinking about, I'm thinking about center backs. You're thinking about center backs. That's fine. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Some days we fix your privates. Some days we fix your teeth. We're going to get it all sorted out here one way or another. Okay. Um, so let's let's talk about Ceballos, though. Look, he didn't have a good game. He didn't have a good game. He had a lot of responsibility. He played poorly, however you want to say it. Um maybe he shouldn't have even been picked in the first place, but he was picked and he's out there. He gets a yellow card because he can't run. Fine. He gets another warning. You have the combination of he's playing badly and he's on a warning and it's halftime and you're down 2-0. 
There's so many opportunities to change it. Bring in Cedric, move Shaq up the pitch, get Ceballos off, protect yourself. The second half starts, he, he's on, he, he's on that warning, he makes a foul, you gotta know what's going, and he said he spoke to him at halftime, don't get sent off. He even said after the match, I wanted to take him off, I was getting Martinelli ready, but come on, between that last warning foul and the sending off, I think there's 11 minutes. Clive, I, maybe I'm coming into a moment with my opinions of Arteta that I'm being overly harsh on him. I don't see any way Arteta can squirm out of not taking Ceballos off. This for me is a red card. You will rarely see a red card as clearly on the manager in my view as this one. So do you want to temper that, be a little more circumspect? Are you on board with me being pretty critical of Arteta in this case? Hey, he got that. I think the whole of the Arsenal watching world would agree with you on that one, Elliot. I think there it's is rarity. no debate. <laughs> there is no debate. We 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 watch the game through <laughs> with fear because <laughs> we're forced to in these times, and we look at all these weaknesses and they become a, really apparent in the biggest of moments. There are games, and then there are games, and this is a game where you don't mess about. You just don't do it, you know, and. It was it was coming. He doesn't even you know how these were. We got a penalty from from nothing, didn't we? You don't have to do anything to get sent off or to get a card. You just don't have to. So if you if you're not in control of that variable, then you mitigate risk. Simple as that. There's not you 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 are the manager, you are the coach. And these blokes I'm telling you now, you know, I'm I'm <laughs> as he's walking off at half time, Steve Round and I think Albert Stuckenberg, whatever his name is they need to be in his ear saying, by the way, do you want me to warm up a sub? But I mean, so so he knew. He said, I talked to him not to get sent off at halftime. We were ready. No, Martin no, no, like, no, 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 no. They need no. to be pushier. I'll be, I will be in his ear. <laughs> Got it. Going, I'll be going, right. He's coming off. Right. You're, it's not even a debate. He's coming off. And you just get someone ready immediately. It's... This is a European semi-final, and we are fighting for 80 million quid extra revenue. You don't mess about with a lone player that's not even ours. Get him off the pitch. You, you need something else. You've been given evidence. It, I don't blame Tobias for this. He has these days. He's a player that seems to, when he has a good day, you can't stop him. He seems to be so effervescent. He, get, he pops the ball around. If the game suits him, he's a decent player. When the game doesn't suit him, it's so obvious. It is like, oh my God, this is not his day. And we, the game shape, the, the distances, it's not his day. We can't change it. We haven't got the personnel to change it. So we have to change the player. It, it is that simple. If it's 30 minutes, because he has such weaknesses, you can't miss him. He's also got major strength. So I'm not going to dismiss the player. On this day, I thought he was let down. I felt he wasn't coached correctly to mm. where to stand I thought he overpressed whether he was told to overpress I'm not sure I thought he was let down overexposed but by the way this has happened before his limitations are clear and in, on, the, on the day of the game I sort of woke up to do my little internet searches on news now <laughs> and, it's, and it was Sabaya saying by the way I don't think the English league suits me blah 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 basically saying he's on his way you know what I mean and I'm thinking well, you, you're not playing then. And then he plays. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, there's like, there have been players in recent history that have said a few things in interviews we don't see for a little while. You yeah, know what I mean? But for yeah. some reason, this guy plays. And I, 
I'm not surprised. The weakness of Arteta and the weakness of Tobias are clear to all of us. They've got strengths, both of them have. But on this day, their weaknesses were far bigger than their strengths. And we know what Arteta's weaknesses are. And we know what Tobias's weaknesses are. But the two together, and we end up with a red card and very lucky to get out of jail. Yeah, I mean, I'll just ask you quickly, Tim. I'm not particularly fussed about it. For you, is it a sending off? Uh, I'll say what I said about the penalty last night. It, mm-hmm. It's a 2021 European competition red card. I, I have a problem. Um, I, I'd say this about the VRL red card as well. I think red cards should be for being like a real bastard. I think you should. it, sh- it should take some effort to get sent off, like violent conduct or utterly pers- like you shouldn't get sent off for three fouls um i don't think unless they're like unless they're egregious but it's but yeah they're like usually he given. was a picky officious ma- uh referee yeah. so you, you, read you know what you're up manager. against you know what I, yeah exactly yeah it's like how do you drive when there's a police car behind you do you drive your normal way five miles over the speed limit 10 miles over the speed limit no you you white knuckle it on the wheel going five miles under the speed limit because you know you don't want to tempt fate this was massively tempting fate yeah it really was and and you know what the thing is for me it's not just like players get booked all the time right you and you can't you know you can't drag off every player that's going to get booked i would say this is slightly different because particularly because the job we had sabios doing chasing back towards his own goal (laughs) against like um, fast wingers and yeah. plodding fullbacks to be fair um, and, and when you get a yellow card sometimes like the chronology of your fouls matters as well like because his first yellow card is like really egregious you know just like mm-hmm. um, kicking the guy's legs away which which I think he had to do and I'm glad he did it because I think we we're in trouble but when that's like your first yellow card I don't think your second yellow card is that far away if yeah. you know what I mean I, so. I, got, I got another I got another instinct about that too um, as we we get uh, our first uh, baby involvement of the podcast um, which which is Tim like here's something I really believe about referees when you're on a yellow and then you make another foul that's really should probably be a yellow but the ref doesn't show it you can't make any other foul you know what I mean? Yep. So like you're you, done. I Definitely. thought the warning foul would have been a yellow if it wasn't his second. You know what I mean? I think he would have gotten mm. a yellow card for the warning foul. So I think the referee's like, you know what? I've let you off from your second yellow. You make another foul, you're gone. And the I feel the manager has to read that and the player has to read that to be fair. So while the, the actual second yellow is harsh, I think he gets it because the one he got away with probably should have been a second yellow. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it's the accumulation of it that, that that matters in this scenario. But but for me, it's not just the he was on a yellow card and skate because he wasn't really skating on very thin ice at half time. That first foul happens right at the beginning of the second half. The, the problem for me, where I have the problem, Elliot, is that he was playing crap. That's it. He yes, really, he needed really to be taken off. Tim, and that, Tim, and, Tim, let's say that, he had no yellow, we'd still want him off yeah, at halftime, yeah, yeah. right? And that, gave the manager the excuse yes. to take him off like that's all the excuse he doesn't have to say i think you're playing crap um if, <laughs> if he doesn't want to he can just say do you know what I'm this changing is a the really system. picky ref 
you're you're on a yellow card i'm changing things you know someone has to go off you're on a yellow so i'm picking you sorry and oh by the um, way you, you don't know, play for our club and you just said you want to go to real betis this week so fuck you exactly exactly so who are we protecting anyway but even if he really wants to do that it just yeah, gave I him the you. perfect excuse to change things and that's what annoyed me when i when i sent the tweet at half time saying you know the yellow card gives him the perfect excuse it wasn't necessarily because i was worried about him being sent off it was because i thought he was playing rubbish and that he needed to be replaced yeah and do, it, do you know on, you know, on the ahead, corner goal mm-hmm. part, we, we're in the right hand corner chambers there's a little bit of movement goes to party he flicks it inside to sabias and sabias miscontrols it and it's one of those things where you're under a bit of pressure if you can play out you're out to the left wing and we're off and running much like they did to us on the first goal all right so he miscontrolled it they get the corner we're 2-0 down and I'm thinking from that moment on, I've got the ump. I've got the ump. Because that's the sort of stuff that it's really hurting us. That sloppiness, that lack of ball retention. If you're not a good runner, then be really good on the ball. You know what I mean? Seth Fabregas wasn't a great runner, but he's really good on the ball. And we forgave the fact he couldn't run because he ran the team. Because he was good on the ball. I'm not seeing enough of the other stuff justifying playing in this team. You know, so... It's a concern. I don't know. I don't want to stay too long on him. No. It's an obvious issue, and we've got too many non-runners in our team, and have done for years. You're, we have to hide them. We have you're to hide two them. nil down in a European semi-final, and you've got a guy playing crap, and he's on a yellow. You can't wait to sixty-seven minutes. What sixty-three minutes to change it? You can't. Arteta is lax with long stretches of European Cup ties. And I just, I think, it, you know, eventually it's going to bite him. And here it did. And hopefully not in a way that sees us crash out, although it certainly could. I, I don't understand how we had, I mean, until he makes the 94th minute subs of El Nenny and William, which is the, the most hilarious, pointless thing I've ever seen. He made two subs in this game. I, you know, and it's, it's a game that needed to be changed. And he was, and, and the idea that Aubameyang is only fit enough for six minutes, there's no fitness level where you can only play six minutes. There's no way the physios said he's got six minutes in him. That's, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. We'll get to a few positives because I think Pepe and um, Saka deserve a little bit of credit here. I thought they showed a lot of personality to try to sort of drag us through this. But Clive, I, I think maybe the biggest positive, the person who deserves credit, even more than Saka and Pepe, and I, I, I have to admit, it tastes like vinegar in my mouth to praise him, but I'm going to, and I hope you will as well. I think huge credit deserved for Unai Emery helping us get back into this tie. Um, I don't know if it's because he still has a deep love and affection for Arsenal. And Coquelin. And, and Francis Coquelin. Yeah, they, they, they conspired. To, well, to be fair, that, Coquelin almost pulled us apart and gave him their third goal. But To be honest, I couldn't see Coquelin when he came on. I never saw him touch no. the ball. Well, he, he almost know? created a third goal. Let's remember, no look pass between Marie and Holding into okay. Moreno. I wasn't but, looking. But th- I was too worried about that, our players. Clive, that halftime substitution is, I mean, chef's kiss, hang it in the Louvre, Unai Emery substitution. You, you've got a, you got your, you've got us up against the wall. We look shaken and you take off your striker for a, for a, a tackly midfielder. It's, it's Unai Emery all over, isn't it? Yeah. You know what? You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't disrespect Unai when he was in charge. And I know you, you guys pointed this out a lot before I recognised it, so you know, fair play. And but <laughs> you were bang on about him, and he basically 
he snatched this one away from himself. He had it there in his hands and he found a way not to. I think the striker may have had an injury, but even so, you send a message when Cochrane comes on to everybody. You're there, you're 2-0 down as, as an Arsenal player. Cochrane comes on, you're thinking they're going to go into a 4-5-1. Okay, boys, we're going to have the ball. Let's go. Do you know I mean, literally, that's it. That's what it says. If it puts another striker on, you're thinking more of the same. We've got to wrestle this game from them. No, and it's just he did this. He did this. He gave us a territory against uh, City PSG the night before. It was a great game to watch, and City were struggling. Um, and I'm looking at their false nine, wondering what you're doing. You know, you need a striker. You need to get back into his game. And they were struggling. I thought City got two good goals. Set me them, but you know, the first goals were a little bit fortunate, and the second goal was fantastic. But what they do really well is that after half-time, City said, OK, we're being boshed here. We've been pushed around. We've been controlled. They went long for the first five minutes of the second half, pushed PSG back and pressed them in. But they had to do it. And PSG thought, you know what? We've got Neymar. We've got Mbappe. We've got Di Maria. Eventually, we'll get out. They didn't get out because City suffocated them. I felt we, City had to do that. They had to do that. They had to force themselves onto PSG. We didn't have to do anything. And we gave it to us. And we thought, we we get we can get going now. And you can't do that. We He could be in a European Cup final today, or European Europa League final. He could be that guy, and he didn't. And we only need a 1-0 win, and this this is over, right? So I can see now, Elliot, why you were so infuriated <laughs> about Uday Emery. And um, he's done this to them. And if they don't get through, he's, he's got a lot to answer for. Yeah, I... I am never going to apologize for my Unai Emery opinions because I think they were pretty darn good uh, from Unai Emery pod number one uh, right on through for the with the exception of the few moments where maybe I wavered and thought he was half decent. Um, the thing I will say, look, there is no credit deserved for getting to the semifinal of the Europa League. Mikel Arteta gets no credit for me. This is where the competition starts. If you are a club of our stature and you don't get to the semifinal of the Europa League, you've failed. You didn't succeed by getting to the Europa League semifinal. You met the par expectation. Chelsea gets in this competition, they win it. Nothing. Right to the final, win it. United, same. Right to the final, win it. All right, we're not Chelsea United, fine. But that this is not a hard... I mean, Arsene Wenger walked us to the semifinal. We played a Champions League caliber, a, a high-end Champions League caliber team in Atletico Madrid, and Koscielny threw it away for us. Unai Emery, not any good, walks us to the final, got us past Napoli. Arteta has to get us to the final. This is where the competition starts as far as I'm concerned for Arsenal. Got to give credit to... um, I got to give credit to Andrew Allen for the tweet of the night about this, by the way. He says, you can tell both teams have an Arsenal manager in charge. (laughs) Which is is, um, an excellent comment. Uh, but, But yeah, Tim, I think... I think the Unai Emery thing did help us, but there was still work to be done. And and if we want to give some credit, the credit goes to Saka and Pepe, who really did try to use individual skill to bail out a system that wasn't working. Saka ultimately getting it done. Look, the the penalty is as stonewall as you will see. I was worried that his leg might need to be operated on on the pitch. Uh, I didn't know if the ankle had become detached. No, I'm kidding. I mean, look, if that's a Spurs penalty, I'm calling it a dive. It's not a Spurs penalty. It's an Arsenal penalty. So I'm calling it soft. I don't care. The point is we got it and we got Kapoor sent off both for the same reasons. A young player in a team that's misfiring taking it on himself to try to make things happen and I think both Pepe and Saka did that and they both deserve credit but do you want to start with Saka? 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I think he just sees both those situations coming a mile off, um, particularly the first one where there's no striker and he just thinks, right, I'm I'm going through all of you. One of you is going to hang out a leg. Oh, no, you haven't hung out a leg. Then I'm hanging out a leg. Um, and, you know, look, that, that it is it is simulation, um, if not an out and out dive. But, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, um, quite frankly. And my attitude towards simulation and all of that, I, I just I just don't really care about it. Um, possibly from watching a lot of South American football where the attitude of supporters is they don't give a shit about it. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's probably a good way to be. Otherwise, you just really upset yourself. Um, and, and with the red card as well, I think he just sees that tackle coming a mile off. Just like Because if you actually look back at it again, the way he moves the ball, it's not going anywhere. Like he sees the tackle coming and he's like, right, I'm just going to make sure the ball gets out of the way so that he doesn't take it and that he gets, um, I, I'm not, you know, I can't say for sure that he knew that Kapu was on a yellow card in that particular moment, but it was, you're going to get a yellow card um, for this. And, and yeah, just, just the, his consistent bravery in those situations, um, you know, and he's, he, he gets hit a lot. But but like much like Jack Grealish, he's not afraid to get hit, mm. um, and that and that's um, that that's a real. I mean, I say that's a real positive. I mean, it wasn't a positive for Jack Wilshere. Um, perhaps let's not go there. But do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the if if you can uh, to quote that like really contrived Rocky quote. Like it, what was it? What was it? He says in like the last Rocky movie, it's something like it's not about it's not about how hard. Uh, I can't remember. He says something like it's not about how like um, getting knocked down. It's about getting up afterwards. And, and that's that's kind of the thing with Saka. And and yeah, they, they were they were like individual moments that were separate from the system on Pepe. The big tragedy of this night from an attacking point of view is not Smith Rowe um, not quite doing it as a false nine, etc., etc. The tragedy is we did not get Pepe on fourth nearly enough. And um, I was just about to tweet and I didn't because the goal got in the way. But I was going to tweet like because I think Pepe had already gone past Foyth once in maybe the opening minute or two. And I was literally going to tweet, get Pepe on Foyth, get Pepe on Foyth, get Pepe on Foyth until my characters ran out. Because I was thinking that mm. that's where it's going to come. And, and obviously like Pepe... Um, nearly got a penalty um, as well in in quite similar circumstances, and that that for me is where like the real culpability is attacking wise. That that was was it. Jess who said before the game that Villarreal uh, their right hand side is their strong point and their weak point, i.e. that they have a brilliant right winger but a awful right back. And and for me, it was just that we just did not work the ball to Pepe enough to isolate him there because every time he was there, I just thought he he had he had one foot on toast, which is to be fair, that's a low bar to clear. Um, but it was it was it was just so obvious, and it was just such a shame we just couldn't get we couldn't create that situation more that we couldn't work the ball over onto that side a bit more. Um, so yeah, like like you say, on a night where nothing, where like the system didn't work, and I suppose ironically for an Arteta team where he does, he kind of instinctively doesn't seem to trust the more instinctive, inspirational, off the cuff players. That's exactly the play um, that got us back in this tie, and that's why he's got to trust that sort of attacking play just a little bit more. I'm not saying go full Wenger, um, you know, 
freestyle jazz or anything like that, but just having just that one or two players in the front three who will do that, just trust them to do that because they will get you goals. They might frustrate you. They might give the ball away, et cetera, et cetera. And it might upset your pretty triangles and, you know, your pass completion rate, but it, it will get you goals. And so um, I hope that that's a lesson um, among many lessons. I think Arteta should take from this. And, and, and I guess, um, you know, to wrap that thought up, we we've spoken before about one of the things about having a novice manager is you've got to accept their learning on the job and, and you have. So let's see that Arteta's learned. That is, that's the kicker. Has he learned from this? And I hope that Pepe and Saka showed him something um, to learn from. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, uh, Clive, rather than me inserting my inane nonsense in between you and you and Tim uh, praising some players, since it's always good to have some positivity on the pod. Why don't you just continue the, the theme there? Yeah, listen to what Tim was saying. And yeah, we, we both we all like these two players and um, we know we need them to do their thing to get us where we need to get to. And they've become increasingly, well, Saka can't become more influential, but I think um, Pepe's really becoming increasingly influential. And he's starting to believe in himself. His teammates are believing in him. And I think he looked like a team player last night, a real strong team player. He could see his mates under stress. He was working backwards. Then he was getting on the ball. Secondary movements were excellent. He really looked good on the ball. I thought he had an excellent game. And I think... And to, to, to sort of add a bit of detail to what Tim was saying about not getting the ball to him. Again, I'm afraid the link man is Sabayas in that little triangle there, isn't it? It's Saka, Sabayas, and it's out to Pepe. And he kept coming in and switching it out to the right side when the real problem was behind you, mate. Just go left foot, can you? Because Pepe's got this guy. Mm. You just sort of keep feeding him. But he kept going out wide then coming back into space where he's come from, into central areas and switching it to Chambers who wasn't confident on the night, and then was dropping it back to holding, back to keeper, boom. You see what I mean? It's just little details. You put Shaq in that role, he's fizzing out to Pepe, and we are, we're in business. Now we're really in business. I did feel the build-up was massively underpowered. And on the other side, again, let's not mess about, right? We're giving Sabah a stick, but Odegaard was not great. He did not offer connections to Saka, so what we were doing, Saka was having to do it all himself, he had to go distance to him from fullback. And when he was receiving it, he was crowded with twos and threes, and there was no wall pass for him. Odegaard wasn't there. He wasn't as effective as he normally is, and he's a player that I really have liked. But he was invisible. Then he got Smith Rowe being misused. We weren't getting those connections. We weren't getting them. And those two players did really well, but they did it despite the system. They did it despite, they had no connections. They were doing it off bits and pieces. And you know, Tim's right, we could have really took more advantage of that on another day. And I hope we've learned the lesson for the Emirates on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, the problem with going too doomy and sticking the boot in too much on this podcast is that this isn't over. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of people, myself included, that started to really lose it with Arteta specifically during this this game. And... I don't know how many times you need to be taught that halftime of the first leg of a two-legged European tie is where takes go to die. Like that, that is the best place to embarrass yourself with takes. But I, I just never learned that lesson and I will never learn that lesson. Tim, as we wrap up, um, God, can he just, can he just learn to use subs? Please? Like, 
I mean, the, the not doing the Ceballos thing fine. He, he, he brings on Martinelli, and then he just sits on his hands. He's used two subs up until the 94th minute. He brings on Aubameyang in 80, 86 minutes. Like, what are we doing? And, and, and of course, yeah. Party, who looks like a totally different, not really good when Ceballos is on, looks like a totally different player when Ceballos is off, drives the ball forward, plays a beautiful pass between the center backs into Aubameyang, who makes the perfect center forward run, controls it sensationally with a little pirouette and, and gets a shot off despite slipping, which everyone was doing on the night. Um, I mean, Aubameyang needs to start the next leg if he can, but what are we doing? I mean, what is the 86-minute yeah. sub? What are the 94th-minute subs? Like, for a guy who's so smart and understands football so well, it can't it can't be this hard to understand. And I say under, understand is probably the wrong word, but to to improve at using, using your substitutions in a five-sub rule tournament. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing is as well for him, this is going to become a thing now, um, a, a bit like the whole Pep overthinking thing, which which I think all the Jose Mourinho three-season thing, which, like, I, I think if you actually dig down into those, I don't think they're that true. Um, or at least because what happens, like, every time Pep loses a game, now it's like, oh, he's overthought it. And, and actually, I don't think it is. And this Mourinho three-season thing, I think it's really only happened once. And everyone's trying to retrofit that narrative because they like it so much and it's so neat and tidy. That this is going to become Arteta's thing. And the way, if, if he's not careful, and the way that this happens is first, the fans of the club notice it because obviously they're very absorbed by the games and they watch them all and they know the detail but soon after everyone else cottons onto it and it become goes into the wider consciousness i think we've probably hit that point with arteta now where you know the arsenal fans see it and talk about it so much that everyone's going to start talking about it now and i i think that arteta's reputation really matters to him i think he's going to start getting asked about this in press conferences and i think that now People will start looking like I, I think he I think completely deserves exactly that criticism for um for this game. What's going to start happening now is it's going to be a criticism for every game, regardless of whether it's true or not. Mm. So every time there hasn't been a sub by the 55th minute, everyone's going to go, oh, fucking Arteta not making subs. <laughs> Because like I, I've I've been to enough. Who would games. do a th- who would do a yeah. thing like that, Tim? <laughs> who do we know that might? Come on, no one would do that. I, I'm, th- I'm thinking like inside the stadiums. Oh, like yeah, yeah. Clive will know this. What is the first thing people shout? Like the minute you get into the second half, if someone misplaces a pass, get him off. Get him off. Sub him. It does become an obsession quickly. That is a problem, I think, that Arteta's creating for himself, that this is going to become part of his image. And regardless of, of whether um, whether it's actually true or not, it's going to, this stick is going to, like this cat of nine tails, is going to come out um, to whip him a few times. So, he, you know, he needs to get a handle on this um, for sure, I think. But one thing I'd like to thank him for is very few people agree with my Wenger was actually very good at subs take. And the longer Arteta goes on with this, the better, the, the more acceptable I think that take uh, becomes for people. Mm. So from my own reputational branding point of view, um, it's probably working out quite well. Less so for Arteta. He needs to... Um, I I think there's an element of pride um to this and i've 
I think there's an element of pride to him not having like really, you know, having that voice on the coaching staff that's that's really a, a you know a challenger or someone who's been there and done that. Um, and and I think that might be about pride as well because he's trying to make his way in management. And I think he's he's concerned about his reputation. He likes this reputation as the bright young thing in coaching, and I think he wants to to cultivate that. And if Look, he should fix the substitutions thing because that's good for Arsenal um, and it's, you know, it's it's good practice. But I do think that he is um, he is trying to cultivate a reputation and, and this will follow him. And the thing is about that as well is when this job is gone, that will be the black mark on when everyone else is looking for a manager. And in the boardrooms, they say, what about Arteta? Someone's going to say, yeah, shit at substitutions, though. Like hmm. that stuff follows you around. So he needs to sort it out. Uh, both for himself and for Arsenal. Yeah, and and I mean, please, Clive. No, I was just saying, yeah, absolutely. I think, I don't want to, I, I think, I was just sitting there thinking as Tim was, when Tim talked, it gets me thinking, right? So, like, what's happened over the last couple of weeks? You know, the last time we felt this way, it's probably the first leg against Lavia. I think we were really disappointed how we threw that away, weren't we? I think this Europa League is huge to us as fans, and we're really looking at it. And the, all the ESL stuff has made us all look at the club in a slightly different way. And we're just looking really closely. And the importance of these games seems to be running away with themselves, running away in my mind anyway. I think I wasn't thinking we're going to win the Europa League at the start of the season. Now I'm thinking we really have to. So it, it feels like there's a different expectation all of a sudden. You know, when Arteta came, you know, I was thinking three to five year project coach. I'm not thinking project coach when Tobias is running back through quicksand. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So even I flip my emotions are flipping. I'm not thinking, oh, next transfer window when I can see obvious mistakes not being addressed. Do you see what I mean? And I think a lot of people are going through that at the moment. Some people are on the edge. Some people jumped off the edge. We can't help it. That's the way people are, and that's it. And I'm just telling you what I'm going through. Basically, this is more important than I'm giving myself credit for. And given it is too important, it's become really important. Mm. And these sort of junior mistakes, they're not going to be tolerated by people who are far less patient than I am. They're just not going to have it. They're not going to have it. And he needs to shape up. He does. Regardless of the fact there may be a bigger plan there. Because no one trusts plans anymore. Because the plan was revealed last weekend, you know, a couple of weekends ago. We saw your plan. But this project you've got going, let's see what it looks like, shall we? Is he part of this? Everyone's looking at the club, waiting for the next thing to really make their, their confirm their opinions. And so we can't be messing about with substitution. We can't mess about with team selections. I know some of that's injury-related, and we know we can pick our strongest team and we're much better. But I do think the light is shining, and it's a byproduct of a lack of experience and trust from the top right on the way down. And the only thing we can evidence to confirm our opinions is what we see on the Thursday night games that really count. And the Thursday night game this week did not help. However, I felt the same way after the first leg. And the second leg, to your point earlier, against Slavia was one of the best moments of the season so far. That could easily happen, although I don't feel 100% confident. Yeah, uh, look, I-, I still think that the substitution issue is also tied into the fact that the system is so muddled. Like, I I don't... 
I'm not trying to say football is the, the most simple. And I, I, I want to avoid hypocrisy here. Not that that's my usual brand. But, like, I felt that Arsene Wenger didn't do tactics. I mean, it, my, my opinion was not that simplistic. Come on. But you know what I mean. Like, I think I felt that there were tactical innovations happening in the game and that his football still lacked some of the structure and tactical nuance that we were seeing develop in the game. Arteta's still doing this calculus thing. We said weeks ago, you know, sometimes it should be arithmetic, not calculus. And... I just think that he is a guy who wants to show his stuff, show his insight, prove his intellect. He wants it to be calculus. He wants midfielders at left back in, you know, tilted 4-3-3, formations where the the left back becomes a center back and a three and build up, but drops into left back out of the off the ball and the, the number nine isn't a nine at all. He drops into midfield in the build up, but then he goes to connect with the front line and like. I got a problem with calculus. You know what it is? No one understands calculus. Tim, do you understand calculus? Absolutely not. Clive, do you understand calculus? (laughs) What is it? (laughs) No one understands calculus. Least of all our players. Why would you look at these players and think they understand calculus? No one understands calculus. So stop it. Make it arithmetic. My six-year-old understands arithmetic. And that makes me feel smart because I do too. So do arithmetic. Four, two, three, one. Shaq is a midfielder. Play him there. Cedric's not great, but he is a left back. Hector Bellerin's not great right now, but he is a right back. Pick your center backs that you've been using most of the season. Pick your two best midfielders in center midfield. Put your number 10 from Real Madrid in between the lines. Play your really tricky wingers on either side and use your golden boot striker. That seems pretty easy. And you could say, look, football's not that simple. Football is more complex than that. And I agree that football can be more complex than that. But when you see Pep Guardiola doing what he's doing, he's had years to work on it. He's had a decade of being the best manager in all of football to figure it out. He's had a billion pounds of money spent to bring in players who can do it. Granit Xhaka is not Cancelo. I mean, I, I love Granit Xhaka. I don't love Granit Xhaka, but he's not Cancelo. You know, I mean, none of these guys are the City players. So so for this talent, for this team, for the pieces that we have, this imbalanced team, no one understands calculus. And and the players didn't... And, you know, Clive, you, you kind of picked picked on me a little bit in the instant reaction, but not picked on me, but you called me out on this, which is right. I said this was a new system for a European semifinal, and you're like, well, it is a false nine. You're right. It's not a totally new system. It is a small tweak again, on a system we've been using for about four weeks into a European semifinal with a selection of players that is once again a change from what we've done. And I just think that is calculus thinking for an arithmetic squad and it doesn't work. And he was slow to change it. He got caught out by the Ceballos thing. What I will say is we are in the tie. So Clive, how do we balance the frustration we feel right now? And this will be it. We'll, we'll, We'll get out of here. How do you balance the frustration we feel? The sense that our manager was really teetering there with the fact that we're starting to get fit again. We don't have to concentrate on the weekend game, which is a luxury we've created by being 10th. We did get an away goal. They weren't very good. They lose Etienne Capoue, who Spanish media apparently thought was brilliant. And and we get a go at him at the Emirates. I mean, how do you balance the frustration we have with the fact that there are some things that should absolutely leave us to feel okay, not great, but okay about the second leg? Yeah, we just we we don't need much to go for us, do we? And we it's it's a tough one, right? Again, it comes back to the frustration that we all feel. I feel, in the end, some of this is well. Obviously, we've really focused on Arteta today, and quite rightly. And some of the players that we're talking about that could come in and and play, they're not screaming to the rooftops to say they're that much better than the players that were playing. 
you know what I mean? There is a there's a decent debate on who the best right back is. There is. We can have that debate. Is it between Mary and Gabriel? You know what? Mary didn't play well last night, but Gabriel's had a couple of dodgy games. I think Gabriel's a better player over time. But right now, Gabriel's not saying, "Give me that shirt." Do you see what I mean? And there's too much of that. There's too many paper thin decisions, and there's too much mediocre quality. I'm afraid that allows this to happen. There is nothing. Okay, Bamiyang's fit. He plays. We know that. Um, if Lacazette's fit and the way he was playing in form, he probably plays. So there's there's a few people that Saka always plays. There's a few that Tierney would play. There's a few core people that say, I play. But it's not enough to make the decisions absolute. And that's the problem. We've ended up with a, a level of mediocrity that we have to coach way out of. And if someone outcoaches us, we haven't got the ability to react and solve the problem. And we were lucky last night we're in this game. And a one win at home is all we need. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I mean, 1-0 to the Arsenal, Clive. What else could it be? 1-0 <laughs> is all we need. And it's over, right? And we are fantastic at keeping clean sheets at home. So what are you worried about? Nothing. No I got nothing to worry about. I, I will say this. I mean, I think some of the problem with selection and your point that no one's demanding the shirt it is a whipsaw situation that can be created by the manager to some extent. I used to get frustrated with Arsene Wenger that I felt there weren't often enough consequences for poor performances. But I think in Arteta's case, it's been a bit of a whipsaw season for some of these players, seeing themselves be in favor and out of favor. And I think there's something to be said for knowing the shirt is yours and that one bad performance doesn't take it away from you. And as fans, I think at times we want to see players be held accountable for a bad performance. Absolutely. There should be accountability. But I think you need some players that know... I don't have anyone better than you. Go go play your way into some form. Go play with confidence that the shirt is yours because otherwise you wind up having to reach for players who just probably aren't good enough and I don't think that that's the solution either. We'll see what he does. I mean, the one thing I'll say is I really do get Slavia Prague vibes off this in the sense that we felt he got it wrong with the system against Slavia Prague. We felt that he got bailed out with a result that left us in the tie, admittedly more in the tie than this result. Um, and... He did change it, and he did fix the mistakes he made in the first leg, and he battered them in the second. Villarreal aren't so good that we can't do the same thing if he gets it right. So, Tim, I mean, to you, as we say goodbye here, um, is do you see the similarities? Do you see a situation where he, he doesn't have Ceballos to pick? He's probably yeah. going to learn the lesson about Shaq and eating to be in midfield. Is, is Arteta almost handed a very straightforward blueprint for how to at least theoretically properly, I say somewhat arrogantly, I guess, approach the, the second leg here. Yeah, absolutely. And he should he should have a Bamiyang fit um, to start that one. Um, you'd imagine that Lacazette will be fit enough for the bench. So at the very least, those two can share the game. So we shouldn't have this kind of um, <laughs> the overthinking, the, the striker or lack thereof. Um, who knows if Tierney will be available, even if he's a, uh, able to be on the bench. That you know, that's a, a good sub to bring on in the 88th minute. Uh, <laughs> and 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 so yeah, like there there are basically uh, there were there were no perfect answers with this team selection for this game. Like it wouldn't, we still wouldn't have been optimum with Cedric at, at left back or Martinelli up front. Um, you know, I still think Martinelli up front would have been better because he takes shots and shots are quite important if you want to score goals. Um, but, you know, he at least one of those problems is is going to be solved in the second leg. He's probably going to have David Luiz back um, as well. He, you know, 
he's he's saved those players and probably rightfully so um you know so that they're around for the second leg so i think we can be a different beast with david louise abamyang lacazette on the bench uh tierney able to play hopefully some part and as you point out no sabios um although you know he could play on any there um but mm. but i mean even then like i i tend to think think el nenny is El Nenny is less likely to have a nightmare game. He'll have a nothing game. Um, so, like, I, I do think that, like, a lot of the pillars will potentially be back in place. Erdgaard, uh, Clive's right, he was rubbish, but, I do, you know, I don't think he's fit. So maybe if he plays, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes against Newcastle to get his eye in a little bit, th- then we're talking. Then, we, then we've got options. And, yeah, some of the pillars that we were really missing that probably forced a little bit of this, if you want to call it overthinking, in the first place. Um, you know, that I, I guess I would separate this from that Man City game, for example, where Arteta started Willian at a false nine, even though everyone was available. On this occasion, he was looking for another solution because players weren't available. So it it is, a, you know, it's a gift horse um, for him to look in the mouth uh, for the second leg, definitely. Yeah, and another gift horse. Sort of like, sort of, not entirely, but sort of like the Slavia Prague game. The result from the first leg makes it very clear what we need, right? I mean, it's it's not like we got a nil-nil and there, you know, we're a one-one, and you you're kind of like, well, do we do we sit on it? Do we try to get nil-nil and just go through on a way? Like, we have to go win, we have to go beat them. Um, you know, now you could say, well, three-two, we're out, whatever. But the real gift horse we have here is Unai Emery is coaching Villarreal, and we know he's going to set them up to try to just kill the game and and get through. Nil, nil. They are going to be negative. They are going to be passive because no matter the fact that his favorite word in the English language is protagonist, I still don't think anyone showed him a dictionary of what it means. So where there is hope, uh, there is hope that can kill you or there's the possibility you get through. And look, this was always setting up for us to face Manchester United in the final. Um, and, I, and I still think, despite all the evidence and as mad as I was our was at Arteta, and as much as I lost the run of myself on Twitter, I will probably be made to look stupid at the end of the second leg, and that is what, is what I am hoping for. So, we live in hope. We have Newcastle at the weekend. Nobody cares about it, but we're still going to do an instant reaction pod after it. Um, Alex Kirkland from the Spanish Football Podcast is uh, up on Patreon, but will be up in the Monday episode taking the Spanish media perspective on Emery, on Arteta, on Thomas Party on the tie itself and what to expect in the second leg. So that'll be coming as part of our Monday episode. And until then, I just hope you have a wonderful weekend and it's not entirely ruined by thoughts of Arsenal. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You can and should block me on Twitter. But you know what? It's Twitter blackout this weekend. So you don't have to block me. You won't be hearing from me. Uh, In solidarity with everybody hoping to drive the social media companies to eventually do something. Please, please do something about the the people that can't control themselves and find themselves abusing others on social media. Ridiculous behavior, and we hope it ends. In any event, uh, we love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Newcastle News. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.